Welcome to the FDN Thrive Podcast. We interview leaders in the functional health space who bring you the most up-to-date, cutting-edge information for people who have tried it all for their health issues. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the FDN Thrive Podcast. My name is Evan Transu, aka Health Coach Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. Now, the last time I went solo was just a couple episodes back, and I was wondering, are people going to like this? Do they want to hear me talk by myself? And I will have you know, both my girlfriend and my mom reached out and said, you know what, sweetie, that's fantastic. You should do another one. Well, that's all the justification I needed to come back on and make you listen to just me. I swear on my life, I'm completely kidding about that whole thing. (laughs) But nonetheless, you are going to have to listen to just me for today because we got to talk about another very important part of the FDN Thrive program, our stool test and why this one is different. And I can tell you from personal experience, the differences that I saw between running a normal quote unquote stool test and the one that we use. So let's not waste any time. I want these to be short and to the point. Let's get right into the details. The problem with a lot of the stool tests on the market, and to be fair, uh, for the longest time, this really wasn't anyone's fault. This was the best technology we had available. They used something called a stool culture. Now, what is that? Well, stool culture is when we take the person's poop and we see what grows on it. Now, the issue with that is and always has been that roughly 90 to 95% of bacteria are anaerobic, at least the ones that grow in the gut. And so what that means is when they are exposed to oxygen, they do not grow. That is not going to be so good then for a test that looks at things in the presence of oxygen, then is it? (laughs) So that was always an issue. It means that we're only picking up about five to 10% of the stuff there. And then of course, you have lab error, you have human error, there is no perfect stool test even on the market today. And when we add in the fact that the technology that we started with was already terribly inaccurate in many cases, that was a problem. Now, FDN used this at one time. It is not because we're lazy with our technology. It's because, again, this really was the best one that was available. Um, And not to mention, we used a lab that went over these things multiple different times. So there was less room for human error. And you certainly could still find some big wins on there. You could find things like Helicobacter pylori. Uh, You could find Candida. There was things that, uh, parasites for sure, there was things that came up that we could use as healing opportunities and address and make the person feel a lot better and help them along their healing journey. Now, what if there was a test, though, that did not need to do the stool culture thing? Well, such a test exists, and we use the only one currently approved by the FDA. It is the GI map by Diagnostic Solutions Laboratory. Now, this is something that needs to be ordered through a physician, so that's another amazing part about our FDN Thrive program, is you cannot go order this right now as a consumer. We get it through our medical director program, and we're going to get it for a lot cheaper than someone's going to just charge you for a standalone consult where they're not really doing the full work, because it's wonderful to get a stool test result. It is not so wonderful to just treat the paperwork, though, and remember... Uh, forget that this person has other things going on that need to be addressed if they want to get truly healthy. So what this PCR DNA testing does that GI map uses is it looks at, to keep this super simple, it looks at the DNA. It's looking for DNA of these dead bacteria and dead organisms that come out of the gut. This makes it tremendously more accurate. Now, of course, you always have the same problem of human error or lab error, error, but we're starting off on a much better foot. We're not starting out at that 5 to 10%, right? That completely was not good. 
So what does this test go over? I'm going to run right through it. At the top of the test, we're looking at more of like the bacterial pathogen section. And you'll see stuff on here. Um, you know, there's some serious stuff sometimes, but also like... Uh, you know, stuff that's short term. Someone with food poisoning might come up here. I've actually seen a few times where the person had something that would be like related to food poisoning. They didn't get sick and they were like, I didn't even know I had that. And you know what? By the time we get the results, that thing's out of their body anyway, certainly um, out of their body in any detectable amount. So it's just interesting when it comes up. Doesn't necessarily mean much. Occasionally, though, um, you do catch something more serious on here, and we have things in place to do that. We can also recommend that you go to a doctor and utilize antibiotics if that is absolutely necessary. Um, there's other products too. There's antifungals, whatever. But we have natural protocols for just about anything you can imagine, and you do have the option to use them if you choose to do so and that's the route you want to take right it's all for educational purposes and what you choose to do is totally up to you it's a wonderful thing the next little section that we have is parasitic pathogens so these are some of the nastiest parasites out there um one that maybe some of you have heard of especially the hikers out there or nature enthusiasts is giardia giardia is something that is often found in like water so um I love hiking in the Catskill Mountains in New York. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. And they actually will have warnings sometimes, you know, to not grab the water because there is Giardia in there. Funny story, well, not really funny, but just kind of scary to think about. We got a man-made lake near where I live too. 6.7 mile loop paved. Everyone and their brother goes to this lake all spring, summer, and fall long. And even in winter, there's plenty of people there. Now they tell you not to swim, don't go in, whatever, but they don't warn about this stuff. And sure enough, Giardia is in there and these dogs drink the water or people jump in when they're not supposed to. And these people get sick. So we have a section that's looking for the nastier parasites. Um, and yeah, Giardia is something that comes up all too often um, with chronically ill people. And that is a sneaky little thing. Antibiotics or no antibiotics, you better know what you're doing if you're trying to get that to truly not be present in someone anymore. That is for sure. Um, we do look at some viral pathogens as well, which I'm not going to talk about as much tonight. And then we have a whole section just for H. pylori. Now that's Helicobacter pylori. And H. pylori is something that is in about 50% of people, rough estimate, in Africa. And it's estimated to be in about 30 to 40%. I've heard even 25% of people in the more um, you know Western societies like America. It's hard to tell exactly what it is, but this is spread through saliva. So I can't tell you how many people go to college and then I hear them, you know, this is when they got their GI issues. I'm like, well, you know what else you do in college? You spread a lot of spit, right? Um, that's why I didn't go. Needed some self-control, said it. Don't even put me over there. <laughs> Did FDN instead. Wonderful trade-off. So H. pylori, actually in many people is not always an issue, but certainly it's crazy because let's say it's on the higher end, right? And it's 40% of people in Western society actually have this. Well, I'll tell you, with the FDN Thrive stuff and being an FDN practitioner myself, this stuff comes up like 70 to 80% of the time. So it's clearly implicated with people who are chronically ill. Um, I'm sure it is something that's typically coming in after they're already stressed out about another thing. Their body's stressed out, that is. But certainly this is not something that helps. And once it's in, it can cause havoc on our intestines. 
and it loves messing things up down there. We got to get it out. We also look at the virulence factors, which we're not going to get into much um, to today because this isn't like, you know, a whole uh, specific overview of each and every individual thing on the test. But those are things that if they're present are more correlated with certain risk factors of H. pylori, including gastric cancer. I had those on my EGI map. Um, so we definitely want to address that if the virulence factors show up, especially multiple ones. Then we have the normal bacteria flora, and what we're going to see here, these are things that should be there anyway, but what you'll find is they either get like really high in some people or really low, depending on the individual. Um, very often, like, you know, chronic antibiotic use, you'll see lower normal bacterial flora. That's something that happened to me. Um, for others that just, you know, have a bad diet or have general dysbiosis, dysbiosis means just a general uh, disproportionate amount of bad to good bacteria, we'll see that high. Going down a little farther, I'm literally reading it off the thing. Um, not that I don't know this by heart by now, <laughs> but still, I want to make sure we cover everything. We'll also see some opportunistic bacteria. Now, these are things that aren't necessarily always supposed to be there. Um, they are usually not even above the detectable level on the GI map, but when things are going not great or there is clear dysbiosis, yeah, you bet these things are going to go up. Um, there's a few markers here that are highly indicative, although certainly not diagnostic, of SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. That's something that I'm not sure how it got out there to the mainstream, but it's something I hear a lot when we're talking to FDN Thrive people. They're already kind of aware of this. They might even suspect that they're dealing with some of this themselves, these chronic GI complaints so much gas, so much bloating, so much burping. Um, so if that's you, this test can be a good clue um, as to whether or not that stuff's going on. I talked to someone just recently. She was damn near positive of it. Again, a GI map is not diagnostic. And certainly the FDNs like myself who are not doctors, because we do have FDNs who are doctors, we don't diagnose anything anyway. Uh, but you can make some clinical correlation. And I'll tell you this, she had quite a few things on there that were pretty indicative of SIBO being an issue. Then there's a section for potential autoimmune triggers, which is absolutely wonderful because we're looking at things that we know are uh, correlated with certain autoimmune diseases. There's no use for these things. We got to address them. And it's even better when we see a clear correlation between, um, you know, the thing that the person is dealing with and the specific bacteria that's overgrown as a potential autoimmune trigger in their body. All right, we definitely need to address that. We're also looking at fungi and yeast. Uh, especially candida, one of the ones that people know best. This is something where it is incredibly more accurate to look at from the DNA side of things rather than the stool culture. Um, I don't, I'm always, I'll always be honest when I'm ignorant to something and I am a slightly ignorant here, but I believe it's like 91% um, rate of finding this stuff when you're using the PCR DNA test as opposed to God knows what on the stool culture test. So pretty uh, accurate, certainly one of the best out there. We're also going to look at a lot of different parasites. One of the ones that you may have heard of is Blastocystis hominis, and it just is hominis because it's found in humans. Blastocystis is found in animals. That's actually a common way that people get it. Uh, maybe working on a farm, letting the dog lick your face. You think it's all cute. All of a sudden, you got a nasty little parasite. 
no bueno, right? <laughs> so we got to check those out because those are not helpful. They are stealing stuff from us. They do not care about us. They just want to make sure that they're getting our nutrients. So we definitely don't want parasites. Um, we actually look at worms as well, which I think is a wonderful addition to this test. Um, is that something that comes up often? I haven't found that to be the case, but when they do, I mean, you got to get them. And worms are actually relatively easy to address. They are certainly disgusting to address, but they are relatively easy. And you, I mean, you're not going to get better if those things are in there. So really good to look at that. And then we have an intestinal health section where we look at markers of digestion, um, some additional GI markers, including like, do you have any blood in the stool? Because that can be indicative of some pretty serious stuff. We're also going to look at some uh, a marker called beta-glucuronidase, which is correlated with certain things in the liver, um, as well as the gut too. And I think this is one of my favorite part of uh, parts of the test is the immune response section, which is only two markers, but it's secretory IgA, otherwise known as SIGA, and anti-gliadin IgA. Now, secretory IgA, you can think of as almost your first line immune defense in the gut, okay? So this is trying to help you out. It attacks things that it deems is bad. And when we have someone that is coming up, the results I'm looking at right now are actually uh, very low. The results are very low. This person's only in their 20s. The normal reference range is 510 to 2010, and this person was a 206. Yikes. What that shows is that this person has been chronically stressed out. They didn't get this yesterday. They didn't get that last week. They didn't even get that last month. There's been an issue going on for a while. What also is really fascinating about that immune response section that I mentioned is the anti-gliadin IgA. Now, why does that matter? Well, anti-gliadin is an immune marker for being sensitive to a certain part of gluten. And I'm sorry for my hesitancy there. I'm just always trying to explain these things in a way that's digestible for people. No pun intended. The anti-gliadin is, um, you know, one of many markers that you can use for gluten sensitivity. It's a very common one though, in terms of this is a common way that people react. So if you hit on that, okay, cool. We have a pretty clear reason to stick away from gluten. Although if we don't hit on that, there certainly could be another way that you react to wheat or gluten. Now with this particular person that I'm looking at right now, of course, this is a uh, audio only podcast, but nonetheless, I can tell you what's going on. This person, uh, the reference range is zero to 157, and this person's at a 72. Now, why does that matter? Well, first of all, I wouldn't like seeing that regardless of what the SIG A was, but when the secretory IgA is low, think about it IgA, secretory IgA, anti-gliadin IgA. Well, when that's low, we can make a pretty fair assumption that the anti-gliadin IgA is not where it's supposed to be. That output isn't as high as it should be. So if this person's 72 on a reference range of 0 to 157, closer to 0 the better in my opinion, when we have the SIG-A with a reference range of 510 to 2010 and they're at a 206 despite having many things in their gut that should elevate SIG-A, what do you think that anti-gliadin IgA should be? And I'll tell you what, we see that pretty commonly. So this is a wonderful test because it actually gives yet another marker to really help motivate us as individuals to stay away from gluten if we are sensitive. Because listen, I'm like anyone else. I've been away from this stuff for several years. Even as a young adult, uh, it's especially tough, right? It's really not cool at any time to be going gluten-free. Um, trust me on this. It really sucks when you're 21 and you tell your friends, hey, uh, not only am I not going to go to the bar with you, I'm also gluten-free now. That's that's really what everyone wants to hear. It, it's really no wonder that I was single for the last six years until I met someone equally as crazy uh, with this stuff as I am. <laughs> 
Finally, we have an inflammatory marker. Um, well, technically not finally. There's one more thing. An inflammatory marker called calprotectin. And we can use that as a general measure of inflammation in the gut. And if it's low, when we suspect it to be high, we can also make some interesting correlations with that. And then at the bottom is a wonderful little section, which just, it helps out if you do want to take an antibiotic route, right? We're not biased to these things. We give those options for people. And it shows you basically um, a, a way that genes are involved to show what antibiotics, if you were to use them, would be most beneficial for H. pylori? Because, for example, this person did come up hot for H. pylori. So what a wonderful thing that if this person had chose the antibiotic route, which they didn't happen to do, they would at least be able to show their doctor, hey, this is what's going to be likely genetically to work best for me. I think that's a wonderful thing. So the problem is, as you probably already know, if you run another stool test, not only are other ones just not this most uh, comprehensive in general, but again, they only use the stool culture testing. That's a huge problem. I'm so glad to see more of this technology being utilized on the market. Uh, but nonetheless, we are still, from what I've seen, in a minority. And you need people who actually know how to analyze this, right? Because there's one thing to look at the results. I showed you a small example already of that secretory IgA thing to the antigliadin IgA. Really simple example of just being able to read between the lines and figuring out, hey, you know, maybe this person is sensitive to gluten, even though their test, according to the reference ranges, might not be showing that. And we get a lot more advanced with that stuff with our practitioners, because that's what we're trained to do. Um, we are here for educational purposes, of course, we're not here to treat or diagnose anything. But we're here to like look at things that other people just simply do not look at. Um, and they might not have ever told you about. So it's really fun. My little personal story with this, and you got all the information that you can need, so feel free to click off right now if you want. I'm going to give a two, three-minute story, though, about how I got kind of screwed over with the stool culture thing. Um, I went to a naturopathic doctor, well-meaning, wonderful woman, and perhaps this is all she had access to at the time, to be honest. But anyway, she ran this stool, uh, stool culture test. She saw that I had incredibly low secretory IgA, but nothing came up on any of the bacteria, yeast, parasites, nothing. Not that far later, or much later, I ran a GI map. I found H. pylori, that bacteria we talked about, the one that's 50% of people in Africa have. I found Blastocystis hominis, which is a nasty little parasite, and it was in high amounts on the lab reference range. So when you see that, really not good. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there was some candida on there as well. My secretory IgA, unfortunately, was still really low. Um, and I had some digestion issues. My beta-glucuronidase was super high. There was there was quite a few things going on that needed to be addressed and certainly um, just general dysbiosis. So almost exact same prices. I think the GI map ended up being, you know, whatever more, but so much more insight, so much clearer results. And it was on the exact same person who... I'll just be straight up, you know, the tests were a little bit spread apart, but I wasn't living with anyone different at the time. Um, I was not act at the time, you know, kissing anyone or doing anything like that. There's only so many places that it could have came from. Um, and I'll tell you this, I didn't get all those things from just a new, uh, you know, environment or something. I was in that same environment. I ran this new test and sure enough, we find things that we didn't find. So if you've never ran a stool test before, save your time and money, come work with us and we'll run this one. Um, we'll have you run this one. And if you've run one before, well, check to see what that was. Was that a stool culture test? And if that's the case, then maybe consider a PCR DNA test like the one we use 
because that is going to give you entirely different insights. If you have any questions about this, always feel free to reach out. We got FDN Thrive on Instagram. Give us a follow there. Or you can actually send us a voice message, believe it or not, on Anchor, anchor.fm. That's the platform we use for podcast hosting. So it's anchor.fm slash FDN Thrive. You can get on our page. You can send us an audio message. If you give me permission in the audio to share your voice, um, I'll happily do that. And if that's not what you want, I won't do that. And I'll make sure to answer the question on another episode for you anyway. So thanks so much for tuning in. I hope this was insightful. If you like these short episodes, definitely let me know that as well. And I will talk to you guys soon. Thanks for tuning in to the FDN Thrive Podcast. If you feel like you've been stuck in the cycle of trial and error when it comes to your health issues, our team can help. Whether you've tried every different diet out there without lasting success, spent way too much money on supplements at your local health food store, or been told that your lab tests are normal despite feeling anything but normal, we have your back. Go to FDNThrive.com and click the Get Started Here button if you're ready to stop playing guessing games with your health. That's FDNThrive.com.